BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to new listeners. What is I Seem Fun, the diary of Jen Car- God damn it. This is exactly what it is. I couldn't even say my own name. And I almost just hit pause so that I could edit this out. But screw it. That's what this podcast is. I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, is a solo podcast done by me, comedian Jen Kirkman. You may remember me from Chelsea Lately or Drunk History. You may have read my books. You may have seen my Netflix specials. I'm going to die alone and just keep living. This is where I go to say whatever the hell I want. There doesn't have to be punchlines. It doesn't have to be politically pleasing to any particular group. It doesn't have to be funny. It can be sincere. I've cried on this podcast before. I've definitely been funny on this podcast before. I've been informative. I've been stupid. I've just been a human. This is where you can go to for free, listen to a performer, riff for an hour about what went on in their mind, in their world, in their life that week. I started this podcast in 2013 when I was a writer and performer on the Chelsea Lately Show. Because of how fun that show was and I was doing things like Drunk History, a lot of people thought I was a very fun party girl. And so they were coming to my shows drunk and screaming things out and I realized this is out of control. People need to know that I seem fun, but I'm really not fun. I'm, I like to do dumb things like stay home on Friday night and make lists. And I like to not be wasted and shouting things out if I'm in the audience somewhere. I wanted a podcast for people to find the real me. And it's been one of the most fun things that I've ever done in my creative life. So if you start listening to the podcast and you feel lost and you feel like it's a conversation that you're not part of, that's kind of what it feels like. But if you stick with it, you'll start to understand that it's random and you can be part of it anytime you want. I will read you a review from the Onion AV Club. What makes I Seem Fun funny is Kirkman's inherent knack for cultivating conflict, even talking into a microphone in a room by herself. Whether she's dissecting a negative iTunes review from an angry Christian or seriously considering a class action suit against Robin Thicke for being gross, Kirkman is eternally embattled, but she tempers her cynicism with sweetness, and more often than not, she's right. Get ready to step inside to I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast. Welcome. I seem fun. I seem fun. The Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast. I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast. I believe this is episode 263. Woohoo, everybody. Oh man, tired. I need a, I need time off, but I, I just doing little projects here and there. So I, I don't have a lot of headspace. I don't have a lot of headspace right now. Oh, I'm going to get the notes up for this show. Welcome. Welcome old and new listeners. Why again, 
just like last week, thinking about these new listeners. <laughs> really thinking about it. Here's some business up front. Chicago just went on sale this week. Please get tickets. Everything is at jenkirkman.com. Click on tour. Again, at least 30 more cities being added for these United States. People, people, people. So please come to it. It is a Thursday night at 8 o'clock. After the show, I will be selling and signing books. I'm just going to bring my books with me from now on wherever I go because I realize there's people that are new to me and people still haven't bought my book. Now, how about this, people? You want to help out JK? So let me tell you what's going on. I'm going to say this right up front. I am a free agent. I have chosen not to go back to my writing job because the living in New York was just, it was just a lot, not to do with New York. It's just hard to not live where you don't live. And I just need to, I just need to redirect my life a little bit. And I am going to be on tour most of the year. And that's what, what, you know, really the whole goal has always been for my living. So of course I'll do other projects, write shows on my own, do this, do that. But you want to support me? Come to my fucking shows. This is my job now, just like it was in 2014 and 15. And I will be pitching a third book. Now they look at the sales of the books that have come before. Now here's the dirty little secret about publishing. You can get on the bestseller list, but still not have made, uh, like, like you get, I get paid. Here's a lump sum. Here's $5. Go write a book and you will get paid $5. And I'll say, thank you. And they split the $5 up into three payments over the course of a year. And then the books you sell go back towards the company because they've already given you the money up front. And if you sell millions and millions of books, well, then everybody's in the black and you start to get profit. Um, I'm not in profit on either book. So I'm not a great candidate for a third book. Um, and yet in many ways I am because nobody, unless you're Bill O'Reilly, sells that many books anymore. And they know I have a big fan base. But if you want to help me, if you're like, I want Jen to write a third book, have you purchased any of my other books? That really is, it's very simple. You must support the artist if you want them to do more of their art. So if anyone on here, and I know most of you have not bought my books, go to jenkirkman.com, click books, And you can buy the paperback versions of both of my books. Um, Those are the cheapest versions. And don't buy it like from another seller on Amazon because that doesn't go towards. You you have to buy it brand new. And uh, that'll help. That'll help uh, the numbers go up and all that kind of thing. So there you go. And I think my books are a great gift maybe for someone you don't know that well, but you know they don't want kids or something like that. And people in their family are bothering them. Get on my first book. I, I can barely take care of myself. And uh, for someone who's maybe turning 40 or you know someone divorced or likes to travel to love my second book, I know what I'm doing and other lies I tell myself. So, you know, the books, they don't have to be a fan of me. They just have to maybe be uh, able to relate on these issues. So that's the skinny up front. That's how the world works. Put your money in the artist's pocket. The artist can use that money to live their life and make more art. And then the cycle continues. So uh, I'm always just surprised whenever I'm at shows, I might give away a free book on stage. I'll ask the audience, how many of you don't have this book? It's like 80% of the audience. And I'm like, okay, maybe buy my books. Just a, a thought. It's it's like, I talk to every comedian. It's like pulling teeth to get 
um, the fans to buy books. I don't know what it is. And yet all we hear from people is, when are you writing another book? I'm like, I, I, I don't know. Talk to the other people that won't buy them. Um, I think it's just one of those things, you know, people, I don't feel like buying books either. Actually, that's not true. I buy everything on my Kindle. It's also for sale on Kindle and that counts too. All right. <clears throat> anyway, I hope that sounded explanatory and not like shamey baby because you don't have to buy the fucking book. I'm just saying if you're like waiting for some reason, maybe the, ho- the holiday season. Um, again, I'm with a great merchandise store called Tee Public. If you go to my website, jenkirkman.com, click shop. It'll take you right there. They have holiday editions of some of my merchandise that I love. I hate fun with Christmas lights on it. I'm just a jolly old soul trapped in a body. You can get these made on a sweatshirt, a t-shirt, a pillow. I believe um, that if you order, like I think today might be the last day before you can get it before Christmas. So double check double check that. Um, wait, how can you double check that? I will double check that, uh, for you right now. I'm going to look it up. Where is it? Aha. Okay. Yeah. So if you order by December 12th, depending on how you want to ship it, um, but for UPS and UPS air, as long as you order by December 15th through 18th, you can get your gifts by Christmas. But you must order today. So there's that. And uh, yeah, this episode today is brought to us by Quip and our new sponsor, Curology. You'll hear about them later. So what do I want to talk about? Oh, boy. Well, everybody, send me your New Year's resolutions or your lack thereof. So... I'm going to need these by, I've changed the date, by Friday, this Friday. Three, you've got three days. You can just be a quick email, iseemfun at gmail.com. Send me resolutions you've made in the past that actually came true. Send me resolutions you make every year that you never end up doing. Send me resolutions you don't make. Send me your opinions on making resolutions. I'm just going to do an all listener email New Year's episode because I think that will be fun. So send me any thoughts on that stuff. I seem fun at gmail.com and uh, you'll be part of the episode, but I'm going to record it on Friday. So you've got a couple days to do it. So sit right down and write a letter. Write a letter to old Jen. Okay. So I'm at Paper Source. People, what's going on? There's a Starbucks right there. I've got like 20 minutes to kill before I start driving somewhere. And um, yes, there's a little corner of Studio City. And I walk into Paper Source. And I'm looking for something specific. I just want some sparkly wrapping paper. And I wanted this little particular gift that I was getting for... um, like a business, little business thing in my life. So I walk in and it, listen, and I'm going to tell a story about customer service and I want to make something very clear. I have worked in customer service. I do not want to pick on the little guy. So there's a bunch of things we have to keep in mind in this story. Some people are just fucking annoying, whether they are the little guy or whether they are whatever they do for a living. This is not pick on the working class person. This is, this person's annoying. B, I don't condescendingly exempt the working class from the ability to be annoying. 
B, I understand that the mandate to be holly jolly, ask a million questions comes from the top, comes from the CEO down to the middle manager. It comes from people who haven't shopped in years because they don't mix and mingle with the general population anymore. They have assistants, they're doing online shopping. I totally get it. I've also worked in customer service where my out of touch boss told me, this is what I must behave like on the floor. And if the boss wasn't around, I did not take those orders because I knew people will shop if I don't annoy them. Be, be available, don't be in their face. Some people just walk into stores to kill time, to wander around, to get ideas. I am asked a minimum of five times every time I'm in a store for less than 10 minutes just wandering if I need help. When I say no, they say, well, let me know if you need. Yeah, I got it. I understand how this works. I will let you know if I need anything. If I don't, that's going to be on me. That will be the regret that I will carry with me until I am on my deathbed and I don't have enough breath left to tell my loved ones what I feel but it will boil so deeply inside of me. I will find the breath to say, I needed something at Paper Source that day and I didn't speak to it. If I can give anyone any advice, is always state your needs. You cannot do one size fits all for all the different personality types that come into your store. I'm someone who tells you what I need. I ask a million questions. I'm also, when I'm not behaving that way, like to be very quiet and like to wander and let my brain wander. I'm not having indecision. I'm not wishing there was help. I'm in my own world. I don't understand how the fellow human who works there does not understand that. That's not every person, but there are some people who definitely have that like personality kind of problem. Um, hang on one second. I have a delivery at the door. Damn, I thought I could pause. Oh, I can, and I hit the wrong button. Well, anyway, you don't, you don't know because they're going to seamlessly edit it together. Anyway, I don't want to hear from people. The reason they do that is because bling a bling No. The reason they is, the reason is this person was annoying. That's what the story is about. Now, I remember one time I was on my friend Chris Hardwick's podcast, Nerdist, and we were talking about, I don't know, things we find annoying or something. So... I'm on the podcast with Chris and I'm like, oh my God, customer service is on steroids. Like what I was saying was people are actually not being helpful because they're so concerned with small talk that while they're doing the thing they're supposed to be helping you with, they think what you want is to be asked a million questions about how your weekend was, but really you only have five minutes on the phone. And what you're asking is like, how come my thing didn't ship? And I got killed by his fans who said, she's so rich and out of touch. And I was cracking up because Chris is legit a millionaire many times over and he married a billionaire. Chris doesn't know from calling customer service anymore. He doesn't have to do that stuff. I do. I was, that's what, again, like someone who's not rich, like I have plenty of money, but not enough to feel secure and I don't own property. So I'm like maybe upper middle class and I do my own shopping. I make my own phone calls. There's been times in my life when I've been so busy working so many jobs that I might hire 
like a freelance part-time assistant for certain things, but I do not live that life where I have an assistant and I don't do anything. So if the, if his fans were actually listening and comprehending, what they would hear is a normal person who actually mixes it up in the customer service world by doing her own phone calls when something doesn't ship, by doing her own shopping, is noticing a trend in this conversational bullshit that actually distracts from the task at hand. How is that elitist? I don't know. But Chris is more like, oh, let's be nice to everyone. And so it sets you up to look like a fucking asshole. <laughs> so his fans went ape shit on me, calling me out of touch and rich, which I thought was hilarious considering that I was doing the interview with someone who was actually rich. I don't know if he's out of touch, but quite, quite rich. So I don't want to get any of that feedback where I have the world of customer service explained to me. That being said, of course, I'm going to get letters. But so this is what happens. I walk into paper source. It's a lazy Sunday afternoon or late morning. I am just blissed out in my own just, oh, just a lazy day. I walk in. Hi, 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 hi. Running from the back. I don't even think they're talking to me because when there's that amount of hysteria and it seems like I've walked into the middle of a story that's already going on, I don't assume it's about me. So I don't look up. I think it's these two women in the back doing something together. I thought maybe somebody was pulling something off a shelf in a precarious manner and it made someone go, ha, 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 or make noises. And they goes, ma'am, 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 hi. And I look up and I said, me? And she said, yes, hi, hi, welcome, welcome. I said, okay. And I just sort of like smiled and laughed, not to make fun or shame, but to say, uh, we're, we're good here. I'm, I'm fine. Let us know if you need. And I said, got it. I just interrupted. So I'm walking around. The women at the counter are in hyper overdrive. Helping everyone. What's your name? What's your phone number? Do you want to be in the rewards thing? And the customers are exhausted. They're just exhausted. Nobody wants all this energy. Now, again, I'll tell you my good customer service experience that happened an hour later at the dry cleaner, and you will decide when you let life happen, you might actually have a positive experience with, with the fellow mankind. When you're pushing and being a spaz, everyone's going to be annoyed with you. So I go over to this gold wrapping paper. It looks very fun. It looks like also I'm going to be vacuuming it out of my carpet for the next five years. Um, luckily, I have an area rug and <laughs> I can just uh, shake it out if I could ever move this giant table that's on it. But you know what I'm saying? It is not just gold paper. It's gold flaky paper. So I love it. I will inconvenience you and wrap things in sparkles in the name of the Christmas season. So I have these two tubes and that's all I'm getting. I know that after this, I'm going to walk around and look at trinkets and then I'm going to go to the counter. I don't need a basket. This woman comes running over, basket for all your things, basket for all your things. And I said, I'm not getting all things. I'm just getting these two things. She goes, well, basket, basket. This is not a mentally ill person or someone with some kind of disorder. This is just an, uh, an annoying person. She puts, if you've ever held a tube of wrapping paper, it doesn't fit in a basket. 
baskets aren't made for that, you see. So that's why you just sort of carry the tube as is. I suppose if you wanted to get fancy, you could tie it up like a yoga bag and sling it over your shoulder that way, but I'm okay. I can carry two little tubes of wrapping paper, you know? Sure, I've never served in the military. I've never been through boot camp training, but I can carry two tubes of wrapping paper. So she's putting it in the basket. I said, that really doesn't make it easier. I'm trying to say, I know you're helping, but I'm going to give you an education with my subtle words that this is not helping. Maybe she'll learn something from the next customer. She goes, see, there you go. Like just completely ignoring me. I feel so unseen. So then she comes back and she says, I have a question. I say, yes. Already, it's unnecessary to say, I have a question. That actually sets someone up for anxiety because you have no idea if they are, what they are about to say. Just ask the question. She says, have you rapped with us before? I said, have I rapped? I'm sorry. I don't know what that question means. Now, I knew she didn't mean rap. Like, have I freestyled hip hop with her before? Have I come in and been like, yo, 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 I see a trinket over there and I'm going to get a stare. That's not a thing. I see live, laugh, love, and I need that painted dove. Hey, I'm rapping with you at Paper Source. Gonna go and park my horse. These are great raps, by the way. Really, really good. It is no wonder that Chuck D follows me on Twitter. Oh, yeah, he does. He also follows like 400,000 people, but that's all right. That's okay. I said, if I rapped with you before, uh, I said, it seems like a complicated question. What are you trying to ask? She said, have you bought this wrapping paper before? I said, oh, I thought you were asking if I'd had gifts professionally wrapped here before because they, they do offer that. And that's what the question means. Have you wrapped with this? But like, why does everything have to be so cutesy and be, have you wrapped with this before? Why are we asking, have you blanked with us before at every, have you stayed in this hotel before? Who cares? I've stayed in a hotel. I know that that was a tweet by actually a bitter arch enemy of mine that somebody put in the private group. So, but I've thought this a million times. Have you eaten with us before? Everywhere I go, go, yep, yep. Because what are they going to tell me that I don't know? This is how we work. Yeah, it's called how restaurants work. I either order at the counter or you take my order here. It's been going on since the beginning of time. I was a waitress in the 90s and in the 80s. So um, I've been alive longer than you. Please don't tell me how anything works. Thanks, bitch. Shut it down. <laughs> Have you bought my house before? Oh, my voice is bad. Oh, my voice is bad. Sorry. Have you wrapped with us before? Okay. Sorry. So I said, no, why? I said, can you just tell me what you're trying to say? I go, there's a lot of talking. It's a Sunday morning. I'm trying to be funny. She goes, oh, huh, yeah, there's a certain kind of wrapping paper you need double stick tape. She goes, so I'm going to get you some of that. It's real helpful. She comes back. She goes, and keep it in your purse beyond the holidays because it makes a great way to fix a hem. I go, okay, no. It's, what are you doing? Get out of my life. If I have a hem that's broken, I go get it hemmed. I won't go around tape on my fucking pants. I don't care if it's double-sided. Well, Jen, you're at an event and the hem breaks. What do you do? I don't know. But I'm not walking around with double-sided tape in my purse. Like, calm down with the suggestion box. What am I, dumb? It's just too much talking. Already selling me a product, telling me what to do with it after the holidays. Honey, all we got is today. 
So I go to the counter. Someone else is helping me. Have you rapped with us before? She picks up the tube. I go, I think that question's weird, but uh, I understand why you're asking it because she already gave me the double-sided tape. You can see it at the bottom of the basket. She goes, oh, that tape is really helpful. I go, I've heard it's got a lot of uses beyond the holidays even. (laughs) I was just like, I can't deal with you people today. There was a lot of talking and bargaining about going into the system. I said, I only come once every 18 months. Well, let's just see if you're in the system. She looks up my name. Is this your email address? I go, I haven't had that email address in four years. So obviously, I don't even come in once every 18 months like I think. Maybe I went to the New York paper source once. And since it's New York, they're not like, hey, they're just like, hey, I'm a store. What do you need? Oh, God, why did I say no to a job in New York? Why? I will miss New York. It doesn't mean I can't go to New York every five minutes. But anyway, so holy shitsky-patitsky, I was annoyed. So anyway, um, yeah. But I got out of there. I got out of there with the wrapping paper and the tape. Haven't used it yet. Haven't used it yet. Whew. Gearing up. Gearing up because of it. So I was like, it's too much with the have you done this with us before. It's too many questions. Like, tell me why you're asking. Why don't you just say, I know they're trying not to waste your time if you've already been there, but you're, you're going to waste about five seconds of my time. You can go, so the menu here is um, paint by number. Did you, did you know that already? Yeah, I did. Because when you say, have you dined with us before? We don't know why you're asking and we don't want to hear a whole shmeal, shlamazel. So just tell us why you're saying that. Say, if the reason you're asking is because you want to explain, well, the way we work is you get a bunch of things and share, or it's written on the chalkboard, or we don't allow phones at the table. You could just go, and you know our rules, no phones at the table, and you're supposed to share dishes. You've been here before, right? Oh, you haven't? Okay. Like just super cash it. Throw it away. Throw it away. Don't make a big deal. I don't know if you've ever acted in anything. A lot of times... um, people do too much with the acting. You know, they'll go, mom, I'm really upset about the clothes in the dryer. And the, the director will go, just actually throw that line away. You're not, you're not upset. You're not like emotionally upset. You're just like thinking about it. Oh, okay. Mom, I'm really upset about the clothes in the dryer. Throw it away. Mom, I'm really upset about the clothes in the dryer. Mom, I'm, st- I'm really upset about the clothes in the dryer. Throw it away. Throw it away. Right. We don't have to go, have you dined with us before? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to explain how it works. There's already too much talking. 10, 20 minutes have gone by. If you just go, I don't know if you dined with us before, but um, we have the chalkboard and then, oh, you have, okay, great. Then stop talking. Like allow them to interrupt you if they've been there before and then that's it. We done. We good. It's really easy to keep it simple. So my next stop is I go to Milton Eddie's. My favorite, I think it's Milton Eddie's. Either way. Yeah, Milton Edie's, my favorite dry cleaner. It's open 24-7, 365. Everyone there is friendly, not in an annoying way. They always have your dry cleaning for you the next day by five. They send you discounts every 10 seconds, and they're sizable discounts. So I walk in, and they usually have, you know those channels now that are like what MTV used to be, where it's just music videos all the time? Um, I don't even know what that is, if it's some kind of like satellite TV channel, whatever it is. That's always playing at Melt and Edie's. 
And they were playing um, La Vida Loca with uh, Ricky Martin's music video. So I walked in. I said to the woman, here's my slip. I'm picking up some items. She goes, great. So my friend, dear friend Chris Frangiola, friend of the show, used to be my next door neighbor. And we used to go to the same dry cleaner. And we'd always make jokes about Milton Edie's. Like, oh, they got the cheese plate out today or whatever. Stupid neighborhood jokes. You don't, <laughs> you had to be there. And also you didn't. But he doesn't go there anymore because he moved about 10 miles away. So I always tell him after I've been to Milton Edie's, like, you're still missing out. It's still great there. Well, Chris's favorite song is La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin. And he has always said that the best time of his life was when that song was popular and he was tan and had frosted tips. That is Chris I'm talking about. He says when he was tan and had frosted tips, it was the best time of his life. And he would go to the clubs and dance to that song when he was a, just, a young, just a young man living in L.A. So he had recently said to me that he's totally over Milton Edie's. Like it's, it's, it's like he doesn't even miss it anymore. He's, he's on to the new, new life in the new neighborhood. And I was like, this is heartbreaking. So I walked in and I saw the video playing. So I started videotaping it on my phone, videotaping it. I got a camera crew. We put in the VHS. I put it on my shoulder. Uh, we started filming it. I started filming it. And the girl comes back and she sees me filming it. And she goes, I love that you're enjoying that. I go, well, it's a dumb story. My friend, it's his favorite song. And he used to come to this dry cleaner. And I'm trying to rub it in. What a party it is here. <laughs> and he doesn't live near here anymore. So it was like, I kept it simple. I kept it quick. I was like, I probably seem crazy. Like I was taping Ricky Martin. She goes, no. She's like, she goes, uh, in one of his other music videos, there's a sound of a car crash and a bunch of people ran outside because they thought there was a car accident. And I was like, that's fucking hilarious. And uh, she goes, I don't even like this music, but the song is so catchy. I'm like, it's exactly how I feel. But as we're having what is a natural conversation without anyone asking me questions about my personal life or my weekend, she is getting everything set. And she goes, hey, do you have a coupon today? I go, no, I usually get them like once a month, but I just didn't, I don't have one today. I haven't gotten one. Um, I used one last week. She goes, here, here's what you do. You Google this and this, and one of our offer codes will come up. And I'm like, Ooh, so I did. And she put it in. She goes, I like you. You're, you're a nice customer. She goes, people, um, sometimes they're just like rushed and rude when they come in. I go, Oh yeah. I go, even when I'm rushed, I try to be nice, but She's like, oh, this was just like a stupid, random, fun conversation. I enjoyed it. So thanks. I'm like, oh, yeah, totally. And that was it. Like, that's all this. Have you rapped with us before? How's your weekend? Let me know if you need anything. All that trite bullshit that means nothing. What those people are trying to achieve is an organic moment like me and this uh, woman at the dry cleaner had. And you don't you, – the route to being organic is not through – the. you don't go inorganic to get to organic. You can't do it that way. You can't force camaraderie. You just have to let it happen. Like let your customers just be who they are in front of you and take their cue. You can't glom onto them. And I think that's what stores don't understand is you think your store has an identity, but the customers tell you who, who your store is, how it makes them feel, what they're in there for, besides obviously the items they need. Don't don't, oh, I hope a CEO is listening. I wish I could consult because I'm telling you 
This is my job as a comedian. I fucking read rooms within five seconds with no data. It's a vibe. You walk in, you let the audience tell you how they're feeling. What kind of show is it going to be? How's the audience in a collective way acting subconsciously together? That's what the show's going to be. Is it going to be rowdy and we're just having fun and you're going to improvise? That's because the audience told me that in that cosmic vibe way. Is it going to be a quieter show where we're thoughtful? I don't know. It, I don't know. Now, of course, like any store, they have control over their brand. They have control over what they sell. I have control over the content that I say. I'm not going to completely change who I am for an audience. But how I deliver it is specific and special to each audience, which is like the equivalent of like one customer in a way in a store. And so we don't have to have our little catchphrases because we've heard these before. It's impersonal. We know you're not asking us an original question that you've never said 40 times already that day. So that's all I'm saying. CEOs, don't make your employees do this shit. And people, if you're, if you are an employee who enjoys talking to people this way, no, just no. How about, as the kids say, they say this fun thing now, how about no? (laughs) It is so rude and so funny. It really is. It really fucking is. Um, I'm really, really hoping, you guys, I'm just hoping that I don't get pushback on this. You know what I'm saying? Not that I don't want people to disagree with me, but... There's nothing to disagree on when someone's talking about their experience. How's that sound? How's that? Um, Okay, people. Oh, I had something for you. God damn it. I had something for you. And now I can't find it. I can't find it. How's this sound? Okay. I was just going to read some listener emails. People, are you getting your holiday gifts? When you think of the perfect gift, you probably don't think of an electric toothbrush, but the Quip electric toothbrush is one of the most gift-guided gifts of the season, and here's why. You're like, what's gift-guided? People, people get with it. Like when Oprah puts out her top 100 O's and people say, oh, these are the best gifts to get. And I think that I would agree with this. It's perfect for everyone with a mouth and it's something that they'll use twice a day. Here's the deal, people. Quip is a great gift. First of all, it looks sleek as all hell. I've got one in gold. I hang it on my mirror because it looks like a big ticket tech gift but it's a stocking stuffer price. They start at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash fun right now, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash fun, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. But you don't have to tell the person you're giving the gift that. First refill pack free at getquip.com slash fun, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash fun. Quip is the gift that keeps refreshing. The brush head's Again, automatically delivered on a dentist recommended every three months. You can even gift your prepaid refills to make sure that your family or friend or colleague is never using old, worn out, or ineffective bristles. It's a great toothbrush, first of all. These little sensitive sonic vibrations, they're gentle, unsensitive gums. They have a built-in timer that guides 
and pulses to remind you when to switch sides. And it just looks cool. You can take it anywhere. You can travel with it. You can keep it mounted in your bathroom. You can buy two, have one for traveling, but you don't need to because the mount turns into a cover. Getquip.com slash fun and your first refill pack is free. Now, if you want to get a gift for yourself, I'm going to introduce you to our new sponsor, Skincare Curology, C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y, curology.com slash fun to get your first month free plus a free gift. Just pay $4.99 for shipping and handling. So 62% of women think it's very important to use skincare tailored to their unique needs, but drugstore acne care is one size fits all. Don't get me started, you guys. You know I've had my acne problems in the past, cystic acne. I've had to get cortisone shots. I've been on Accutane twice. Curology is personalized acne care, customized to you and your skin's unique needs and mixed by an expert just for you. It's a one-step skincare routine, completely customized to you. Go to curology.com slash fun, and you're going to get your first month free plus a free gift. And again, just $4.99 for shipping and handling. But Without scheduling an appointment, paying a copay, or even leaving your house, you will connect with an online dermatology provider, and they're going to custom design prescription acne formulas to be sent right to your door. So go to Curology.com, answer some questions about your skin, you can snap a few selfies, and then their expert dermatology providers create a skincare solution just for you. It even comes with your name on the bottle. It's so awesome. There's no gimmick, no complicated routine, and 88% of Curology users see results. You shouldn't need to do a seven-step morning routine just to clear your skin. Curology has it down to one bottle, customized to your skin's unique needs, and mixed by an expert just for you. That's curology.com fun for your first month free plus a free gift Curology.com slash fun. Woo! Woo! Oh my God. So somebody wrote to me. It was very interesting. They said, Jen, I've wanted to try peel and stick wallpaper, but I'm afraid it's going to look all plasticky. And I was like, what are they talking about? And then I got my peel and stick wall ma- wallpaper in the mail and I started to cry. I literally did. It was just like, you know, when you buy something and then you realize, I hate this and there's so much of it and it was expensive. And so I returned it. Um, I got it on Wayfair. It didn't work for me. The pattern just looked almost childish when I actually saw it. It might have been a fun accent wall, but I want this for my whole bedroom. And it was this sort of black and white pattern that looked kind of vintage romantic, but in real life, it just doesn't look good. And it was... Um, most peel and stick wallpaper is vinyl. So here's the answer to the peel and stick wallpaper riddle. There's some, some places where it would cost about $2,000 to do a room over and the wallpaper feels like real wallpaper. Like it has that texture. I'm not going to pay that for that right now. Um, I'm looking for something less than that. So I think I found a compromise. Um, It's the designer, Cynthia Rowley. If you guys play Design Home, you'll recognize the name. She's got a great peel and stick wallpaper that I bought that I'm going to pick up at the Home Depot. And it's black with like gold little like like birds and tree branches. And I realized I want black wallpaper with gold. And then my furniture is white. So I want this kind of like black, white, and gold feel. So I'm hoping that even if 
the wallpaper has that violently slick feel, which I don't mind actually. Um, as long as it doesn't look like a really stupid, cheesy, loud pattern, but I don't think it's going to, I think it's going to be great. So, um, I changed the date of, uh, when the woman is coming to do the wallpaper, which will be next week. I'm very excited. Yes, I am hiring someone to, uh, put up peel and stick wallpaper. I'm just not talented in that way. And it's so much easier for me to just go here, you do it. I am so phlegmy, which bums me out because tonight's my Christmas show as I'm taping this. And I want to be able to sing my Elvis song without going, eh, eh, what's Christmas time, pretty baby? And the snow is falling down. It's Christmas time, pretty baby. So that's the peel and stick update. But the woman who wrote me, you're absolutely right. It can look shitty. You kind of have to spend the money unless you just want to do an accent wall and then it's really like no big deal. But what I did love about it was I assumed the peel and stick would really just ruin the walls and it doesn't and yet it also stays up. So I'm just very impressed and um, there's that. So here's the deal. Oh, also Los Angeles. What I'm really excited about is the Improv Lab, those of you who would come see my shows called Test Show. Well, I did those all in uh, 2017, 2018. God, time goes by fast. For 2019, I'm doing, I'm calling it Story Lab, and it's a night of story reading and storytelling. So it's funny, but it's not stand-up comedy. We got enough stand-up comedy. I'm going to use it to read essays from the book that I want to write. So I'll have to write them first and or tell stories because I'm also working on a one-woman show. So I think, my loves, that that's the deal. That's the deal, Steel, Steely Dan. That's the dealy, Steely. Okay. Well, how was the podcast this week, That Girl You Like? Um, she tried to rhyme like that's the deal with Steely Dan. She gave it a couple shots. Did it go well? No, it was terrible. Oh, all right. What else has she got going on? Uh, she's getting in arguments with people across America about customer service. No, okay, so I talked to a kid. I'm going to assume he was a Bernie bro type. I'm sorry, I just, I call it like I see it. I judge it like I judge it. <clears throat> I'm at one of those little, um, you know those little, we've got a lot of these in L.A., no big deal. There are those little postal, they're not a post office, they're not a UPS store, but they're like a little postal store. And they will ship UPS, they will ship post office, they will ship FedEx. But they're their own franchise. I understand that that building in and of itself is a small business. I get that. But UPS in a small business. So I try to support the Postal Service because I think that the United States Postal Service is a fucking miracle. And for those of you who love Bernie Sanders and want a more socialist America, it's one of the closest things to socialism that we do have. And I fucking love the Postal Service. Um, hang on. Sorry. So I got into an argument with this kid. Well, it wasn't an argument, but I said, I'm sending some DVDs to my mom, right? And I go, I'd like to get them there within a week. What'll do, what will do that? And he goes, uh, UPS will guarantee it. The postal service, 
says they could get it there in two days, but everything's been really bad because it's the holidays, so it could take two weeks. I go, oh, well, I guess I'll take the guarantee. I go, you know, I hate not supporting the post office, but I have to admit I've had some problems um, this time of year when when I've sent things like, you know, and it's not, it's like there was this one year there was like a blizzard and I'd sent out a box and it was going to get there on time, but because the blizzard it didn't, but because they don't deliver Sunday, it was like a whole different scene than if I'd done UPS. You know, sometimes there's a time and place for everything. I'm glad we have the options, but the postal service is still a goddamn miracle. And the kid goes, why do you want to support the post office? That's big government. That's government. Government run things aren't good. I go, no, that's not actually true. Like roads, fire department, a lot of government run programs are great. And government doesn't equal evil. There's nuance in life. And he goes, no, UPS, you know, we're a small business here and we like to use UPS. I go, yours, this building I'm standing in is the small business, but UPS is a giant conglomerate like Amazon or Netflix or Walmart or Target. You know, he's like, no, the U, the postal service is bad. It's big government. He's like, UPS is small business. Like we have to support the little guy. I'm like, okay. I said, I don't know where you're getting your information, but that's just not true. Um, I'm sorry. I don't know. He's like, well, I'm pretty into politics. I'm like, I can tell you are. <laughs> I can tell you are. And I know exactly the politics he's into. And I know exactly where he gets his information. And he's fucking wrong. And I'm not going to get into it. Because I know he probably thinks he's like, ugh, I can't even get into it. I, I think he probably thought he was Mr. Socialist. And someone had told him that government was bad. And I, I don't, listen, people, he had the whole thing backwards. He had the whole thing backwards. So I think, and it's funny because Megan McCain said um, on The View once, if you think the government is so good at running things, the post office, oh yeah, such a great run business. But in this article from theweek.com, so it's funny like how sometimes the left and the right horseshoe each other. So she's making fun of the big business of the post office and so is the like more left-leaning guy at this little stand that I was talking to. Because uh, he was saying stuff about corporations and the rich and, you know, the government's full of like rich elite establishment. And I was like, oh, my God, he's literally thinks the post office is the establishment and UPS is small business. OK, I can't argue with stupid. So I leave. I mean, of course, I send the DVDs, then I leave. But I was reading this article from theweek.com, uh, this guy named Ryan Cooper. I know nothing about him, but I just know that he wrote this. Um Postal Service has been absolutely central to the history and development of the United States, and it continues to provide fast and efficient service despite being beset by enormous problems. That's the thing. Like, Cheney was trying to dismantle the post office years ago because he wanted to privatize everything. So what they do when they want to show you that, quote, government programs don't work is they destroy them, and then they tell you government programs don't work, and then the right and the left horseshoe each other, and they believe it. So... The post office is by far the oldest federal agency in America and the only one explicitly authorized in the Constitution. As Winifred Gallagher writes in her delightful history, How the Post Office Created America, its main architect was none other than Benjamin Franklin, who had been heavily involved in the earlier colonial postal service. On the orders of the Continental Congress, he built up its first iteration as part of the Revolutionary War effort. 
It was an expensive business because in those days, paper was not cheap, transport was accomplished with animal power, and roads were generally terrible. But the need for it was barely discussed because a nation at war simply must have reliable communications. After the war, a similar need was recognized for the fledgling American Republic. Thus, the Constitution granted Congress the power, quote, to establish post offices and post roads. This rather vague language was finessed into the Postal Service Act of 1792, which was signed into law by President Washington. Under the arguments of Washington and his ally Benjamin Rush, Congress conceived of a post office conforming to democratic values. Unlike European postal services, which were generally expensive provinces of the elite, plus state surveillance and espionage, the U.S. Post Office would ideally be available to just about anybody who needed it. Tampering of any kind, state or private, was outlawed. So instead of making a profit for the government, the post office was set up to be self-sufficient. Profitable short routes between big cities would subsidize longer deliveries, which were naturally somewhat more expensive. A democratic post office should serve the dock worker writing to his sweetheart, just as it should carry important state correspondence. Meanwhile, newspapers were cross-subsidized even more. A democratic citizenry, it was thought, depended on regular, accurate news of political developments. It's easy to forget today, but up until the development of the telegraph in the 1850s, mail was the cutting edge of both communication and state modernization. Um, Universal cheap postal service also required infrastructure, so tens of thousands of better roads were thus eventually and reluctantly built by the states, and Congress started creating an administrative apparatus to deal with the plague of riverboat explosions. Later, railroads would carry the mail. Um, Congress enacted a series of reforms providing for permanent government subsidies and cracking down on abusive mail con contractors, contractors, blah, blah. Uh, it's the country's nervous system for good and ill. Da, 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 da. The war also made the post office an engine of gender and racial equality, if imperfectly. It had long been one of the few places where women could occasionally get work, but that dramatically increased during the war, with men in short supply and women considered more scrupulous and honest in dealing with valuable mail. After the war, African Americans entered postal employment en masse. President Grant appointed hundreds of black men and women as uh, black men as postmasters and letter carriers, viewing it as important on both racial equality and political grounds. Blah 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 blah. Uh, decades later, President Wilson did segregate federal employment, largely cutting off opportunities for black advancement within the post office. But that was reversed under subsequent administrations. During the progressive era, the post office continued to develop new innovations like pneumatic tubes for city delivery, simple savings accounts for the poor and working class, and after a, bru a bruising political debate, delivery of packages. More importantly, it rolled out free delivery for rural areas. Blah, 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 blah. With the development of the airplane, the agency developed an airmail service. Um, the Depression and the Second World War created serious funding problems. With the rise of the conserva conservative movement, politicians began demanding the post office operate more like a business or even be privatized outright. So I'm just saying, people, the post office is democratic socialism at work. If you're into that, 
Don't shit on the post office. Learn learn yourself. Learn yourself, kid. Kid. Learn yourself, kid. It's hard to argue with the ignorant because they're so confident. They're more confident than people with facts because people with facts are constantly like reevaluating and being like, well, wait a minute. Well, let me make sure. Well, this and that. But ignorant people are just like, nope, it's a small business. It made 14 billion trillion last year. Pretty small business, I think. I am really getting a lot of Google alerts on my name for the baby it's cold outside feminist argument, which I am doing in my show tonight. I wrote a tweet thread about it and um, I thought it was kind of cool. So I want to give you guys the history of the song Baby It's Cold Outside. It was written by a husband and wife and back in the day people would entertain at parties in the 30s. you would host parties and you would kind of develop a reputation for yourself. So I think his name was Frank Lesser and he and his wife wrote the song together and it, it was not actually billed as the male and female part. It was called cat and mouse. So admittedly the song is a little bit of a chasing game, but it's not blurred lines. It's not, I want to date rape you. You don't know how you feel. It's Two adults flirting, equally consenting. One person wants her to stay over. She wants to stay over. But where the tete-a-tete comes in is, I don't think I should because of fucking society, okay? And there were not roofies in the 30s. I'm going to read you this article um, about, because, so a radio station in Canada banned the song. And every, you know how people say, okay, so give me an example. There's a scene in It's a Wonderful Life where it's like they have this black maid and she's literally like mammy. You know, she's like, mammy, it's so offensive. And people can say to me, well, that was the time. And I'll say, yes, well, the time was offensive. Um, It was wrong then and it's wrong now. There's no cultural context. Now, people, uh, maybe there were people who were not traditionally racist, but their white privilege was showing when they would only cast, you know, it, it was a bigger, the rep, the way black people were represented in movies from not represented at all to only represented as the great Chuck D said, butlers and maids, slaves and hosts. Many intelligent black men seem to look uncivilized when on the screen on the plantation. But actually, I think that it was Chuck D that was a guest appearance on the song Burn Hollywood Burn. Anyway, so there is no excuse. Some people didn't know back then, but there's no excuse. That's different than misinterpreting something because you are putting a modern spin on something that isn't happening in said piece of art. Does that make sense? So in other words, um, Shakespeare. If I want to misunderstand some words in Shakespeare, I can get outraged. If someone goes, the thing you're outraged about wasn't even a thing in the mind of Shakespeare writing this, it, it just seems similar, but you are wrong. Like the cultural context of baby, it's cold outside. The thing that these people were joking about that maybe they weren't, the thing that these people are joking about is how people talked about women if they stayed over a man's house. And then the second part is how people talked about a couple that spent the night together without being married because people lived with their families and then they got married, right? So it would have been a scandal in a general way for both sexes, but way worse on the woman. Now, the song is not a commentary on that. The song is just a, uh, a victim of its time in the sense that 
that was funny back then. Like, oh my God, you know, I'm sure somebody was like, no, but I really think this should change. Like women shouldn't be ostracized for sleeping over someone's house. Obviously. And I'm sure all the people were aware of that. They were kind of poking fun at uptight people that would talk and having fun with the notion of like, ooh, it might be naughty to sleep over. So all of that is going on. But if you're going to be offended that it sounds like date rape, it sounds like this, you're just misinterpreting the song. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm not saying that was the time back then people date raped. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have it wrong. Um, so I don't know how to tell people to stop looking at it with a lens that is just incorrect. Um, so I'll tell you what I wrote on Twitter. I said, the song seems odd now, not because it's about coercing sex, but about a woman who knows her reputation is ruined if she say, stays. Say, what's in this drink is an old movie line, which it is. And I'm going to read someone who wrote it much more succinctly than me. He's offering her an excuse she can use, but it's cold outside. And she's explaining to him like, hey, duh, male privilege. That excuse doesn't work when you're a woman who has to deal with what the neighbors think. The song has a lot to teach us about how society views women's sexuality, but the lesson of this song is not that it's about forcing a woman into sex and must be banned. The lesson is, if you want to be outraged, be outraged about what the song is actually about, the double standard in regards to sex that women face and how nothing much has changed, and then enjoy the song because it's a delight. Also, if you know anything about music, at the end of the song, she joins with him in the chorus of Baby It's Cold Outside. She's going to stay over. Also... Again, when the song was performed at parties, the man or the woman could do the part. So it's not even just about a woman. It's about, ooh, should we sleep over together? What will society say? So there was a great article in um, it's a website called persephonemagazine.com. This is from 2010, I think. I have been screaming this along with this woman for years, and she wrote it way more succinctly. So... Uh, Listening while feminist, in defense of baby, it's cold outside. This this woman wrote this. I'm going to get her name. Her name is Slay Bell. Um, okay. I'm a pretty voracious consumer and critic of American popular culture. I'm one of those third waivers who believes that the deconstruction of all aspects of pop culture is an important aspect of feminism or any sort of progressive movement. Mass culture is the stew we all live in. When we learn to cook it at it, oh, sorry. When we learn to look at it critically, we can discuss the messages we're soaking in every day. Sometimes we're good at it. Sometimes we're bad at it. Sometimes we get bogged down in the wrong details. I've noticed over the last several years that some feminists have a strong dislike for the Frank Lesser song, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Again, he wrote it with his wife and they used to perform it together. Hattie wrote one interpretation of the song last week, but with all due respect to my fellow Persephone, I must heartily disagree. I've heard the take on Baby, It's Cold Outside is rapey a couple of times over the years, and the concern about the song usually centers in on one line, quote, say what's in this drink, while many contemporary listeners assume it's a reference to the date rape drug. But narrowing in on this particular line divorces it from its own internal context, and having only passing familiarity with the song divorces it from its cultural context. You can and should read the lyrics of that song in their entirety here. And then she links to it. The structure of Baby is a back-and-forth conversation between the male and female singers. Every line the woman utters is answered by him until they come together at the end of the song when we just look at when we just look at, say, what's in this drink, 
We ignore the lines that precede and follow this, which are what indicates to the listener how we're supposed to read the context. The song sets up a story where the woman is dropped by her beau's house on a cold winter night. They talk in the first verse about how long she's going to stay. She has another drink and stays longer. And then later in the evening, it's implied that she's going to sleep over. If we look at the text of the song, the woman gives plenty of indication that she wants to stay the night. At the time period the song was written, 1936, good girls, especially young unmarried girls, did not spend the night at a man's house unsupervised. The tension in the song comes from her own desire to stay and society's expectations that she'll go. We see this in the organization of the song, from stopping by for a visit, to deciding to push the line by staying longer, to wanting to spend the entire night, which is really pushing the bounds of acceptability. Her beau, in his repeated refrain, baby, it's cold outside, is offering her the excuses she needs to stay without guilt. Let's look at the lines. As she's talking about leaving, she never says she doesn't want to stay. She does say the answer is no. Somebody tweeted me, it's very clear. She says no means no. Again, context. Her words are all based around other people's expectations of her. Her mother will worry. Her father will be pacing the floor. The neighbors will talk. Her sister will be suspicious of her excuses. And her brother will be furious. And my favorite line that I think is incredibly revealing, quote, my maiden's aunt's mind is vicious. Vicious about what? Sex? Unmarried, non-good girl having sex. Later in the song, she asks him for a comb to fix her hair and mentions that there's going to be talk tomorrow. This is a song about sex, wanting it, having it, maybe having had a long night of it by the fire already. But it's not a song about rape. It's a song about the desires even good girls have. So what is he singing while she's talking about what other people think of her? He's providing her with a list of cover stories, essential excuses she can use to explain why she hasn't or won't go home. It's cold out. It's snowing. The cabs aren't running. The storm is becoming a blizzard. She might get hurt trying to get home. He's complimenting her as well, something that many criticisms of the song hone in on. She has beautiful eyes. Her lips look delicious. Her hair looks swell. But this is standard romantic language. They are having an intimate time together. And he is far less constrained by societal expectations, so he can ask her to stay. It's always assumed that she'll just turn him down. Except she doesn't want to. It's her mother, her father, her aunt, the neighbors that want her to go home in a storm. She's having a lovely time. I ought to say no, no, no. Well, at least I'm going to say that I tried. So let's talk about the drink. I've discussed solely looking at the lyrics of the song and its internal universe so far, but I think that the lines say what's in this drink needs to be explained in a broader context to refute the idea that he spiked her drink. Say what's in this drink is a well-used phrase that was common in movies of the time period and isn't really used in the same manner any longer. The phrase generally referred to someone saying or doing something they thought they wouldn't in normal circumstances. It's a nod to the idea that the alcohol is making them do something unusual. But the joke is almost always that there is nothing in the drink. The drink is the excuse. The drink is the shield someone gets to hold up in front of them to protect from criticism. And it's not just used in these sort of romantic situations. I've heard it in many investigation-type scenes where the stool pigeon character is giving up bits of information they're supposed to be protecting, in screwball comedies where someone is making a fool of themselves. 
And yes, in romantic movies where someone is experiencing feelings they're not supposed to have. I have seen this in, in 1930s movies. Say, what's in this drink? A, a, a fella is underneath a light bulb and he's confessing to a crime. Much like Mike Flynn. Oh my God, Mike Flynn will not get jail time, which is kind of sad because he yelled locker up. So it'd be fun to lock him up because he dished on everything. Everybody, he ratted out all of America. If you have a parking ticket you didn't pay, you fucked. Anyway. The song, which is a back and forth, closes with the two voices in harmony. This is important. They have come together. They're happy. They're in agreement. The music has a wonderfully dramatic upswell and ends on a high note, both literally and figuratively. The song ends with the woman doing what she wants to do, not what she's expected to do. And there's something very encouraging about that message. So, people, I agree with that take. If you want to get outraged, get outraged about double standards. Do not get outraged about a thing that a song was not about. Don't get outraged about the post office. It's your friend. People. I feel like the little old lady today. These songs were good and the post office is good and I'm out of breath. I'm out of breath from talking so much. I'll close the show on my mother's review of uh, seeing John Legend. Uh, Dad loved the Brian Setzer Orchestra. They were really wonderful, singing all types of Christmas music, rock, swing, country. Snow fell from the ceiling at the end when they sang White Christmas. Dad did not like John Legend as much, but he did stay for the whole show. People were disappointed because he didn't sing many Christmas songs, as was advertised. Included a lot of his original songs. His costume changes and the constantly changing backdrops and lighting were amazing, though. I like him. He's a little cutie. He has a Christmas special on Wednesday night at 9 on NBC with his wife and kids. I am seeing Jerry Seinfeld on Saturday night and Terry the Puppet Guy on Friday. Have a great week. Love and hugs, Mom. I did get a review of Seinfeld. I forgot to ask about Terry Fedor. Anyway, um... I also found out that I have arthritis and degenerative disc little movements in my neck. That's what my back pain has been for the past six months. Oh, my God. I'm a soul trapped in a body. I'm starting to deteriorate. But I have an amazing doctor. And on Monday, which will have been two days ago, I'm getting a shot in my neck. To It'll help repair the discs. It's going to take the inflammation down. We are going to do this. I am going to be okay. No surgery needed. No surgery ever I am going to get. And... um. He was like, this is probably from a sports injury. I'm like, I've never played a sport. I'm like, I know what it's from. Like walking in New York with a bag on my shoulder. I was just being reckless. I really didn't realize. I was just being an idiot. And then I didn't get it looked at for a while. And then I was going to a chiropractor, which is exasperating it, exacerbating it. So I went to the orthopedic. And I just like him because he goes, oh, how'd that decision work out for you with the heavy things on your shoulder? I'm like, oh, pretty well. He goes, yeah, yeah, it seems to be, it seemed to have worked out well. Like he was just cool and funny. He wasn't one of those people that's like, every time I would get a massage, they go, you're really tense. Do you do stretching? No, I don't. I just sit around being tense. And this one woman I got a massage last week, she goes, you should try a heating pad. I'm like, yeah, sit, try nine hours a day. There's heat. Like you do. The, the massage is in, a, in addition to the self-care. I'm not like, do-ti-do. So anyway. He said I could go under anesthesia, and I can't believe I turned down free anesthesia. I probably would have had to pay for it, but the opportunity for it. But I was like, last time I went so fucking insane. I don't want to deal. How bad does it hurt? He's like, we'll give you a Valium so that you don't care. You'll be face down. I will be coming at you with a needle in your neck. Um, but I can I can local anesthesia the area, 
and it'll just feel like a flu shot and it's 90 seconds. I'm like, let's do that. He's like, honestly, I've done it. Other people have done it. You'll be fine. So I think the right call is to do the Valium because I do know that once I lay down, I might be like, ooh, and like a little nervous. Um, Just because like, even though I don't think it's a big deal, the body reacts nervously and I don't want to be like flopping around while he's trying to like get me in the right place with his needle. But ugh, because I'm taking the Valium, it means I have to take a car service or an Uber and it's like a 40 minute drive each way. And I don't want to small talk. I would rather, ugh. but I got an MRI on my neck and they were like, are you claustrophobic? And I'm like, I am, but not in an MRI where I could literally just go like claustrophobia to me is like, I'm trapped in an elevator or I'm being held hostage and tortured. But if I'm in an MRI tube, and I have a call button in my hand and I can stop anytime I need to and tell them I'm nervous, then no, I don't feel claustrophobic. I got in the tube. It does feel a little weird. I got like, it's just one of those moments where you're like, I'm so human. Things go wrong with the body, you know, but they had this really cool thing where they had like a skylight in the ceiling and then they put this mirror over your head and then you could look at the street outside. And I was like, I don't get why I just shut my eyes and went to sleep. I fell asleep during an MRI that was like, I'm telling you, lay me down and I could fall asleep. And I had them play classical music in my headphones. So anyway, that was my exciting week. MRIs, shots to come, worrying about a song, trying to spread the good news of the post office. You know, until next week, have fun.